It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the backup main event to my UFC pay-per-view, Handsome Nick John brought you Nikolai. What is up, brother? We're breaking out a pay per view on this one. Yo, NJB three. I don't know what any of um, any of that means. What does NJB stand for? Nicholas John brought you the third. Oh, NJB. I, damn it! Damn it! You set you set me up, man. I was just bringing it home. Come on. Up. This could have been so much smoother. What the Should heck? We restart or Should we just keep going? We're no, just no, going. no. What the <laughs> heck, my my Uzbek? What you doing? Like, uh, you know on. what? I, I'm excited about this pay-per-view, man. I, I, I watched some tape. I did some research. I dove into Blackowicz and Ankalaev, and, uh, and and I'm excited to dive into it. Look, is it a is it a top-level pay-per-view? No. Unfortunately, like, if it had stayed it's the lost way that it some, was. It lost some man, good shit, man. Dude, did it lose some firepower? This is why the UFC has to set their fights, uh, their events at like 15 or 16 fights now. Because there's going to be a bunch of drop-offs at this time of year. People be getting the flu. People be getting sick. People be getting COVID. But the UFC would never say it's COVID. It's it's just some shenanigans going around on around now. And I'm shocked that they're able to keep 13 fights on the card till now. We're recording as of Wednesday night, Nick. I would not be surprised if we lose another fight or two and they get another last second replacement or two into this card. But uh, still, I'm intrigued by it, man. They replaced um, the the... Robbie Lawler with Alex Morono. That's not the worst replacement in the world, right? They made some decent replacements here and there. Ovin St. Prude tried to stay on the card. That didn't work out. Um, Cameron Saimon, you know, picked up some random some random opponent, which makes it, you know, almost a, a fight that nobody cares about since Ronnie Lawrence was an actual UFC veteran facing him. Broshaska Glover can't be replaced, unfortunately. Broshaska gave up that title. He was kind enough to the UFC to do that, and, and, and I doubt they'll ever return the favor. But, um, you know, I'm intrigued by it. I'm intrigued by the main event being five rounds. I think that adds elements to it that makes it more more interesting and allows for more possibilities in those latter two rounds if it goes that long. And uh, I'm intrigued by Jared Gordon versus Patty Pimblett too, man. Yeah, and I'm interested in uh, in Curtis Buckley because they like the fight we just saw, and we'll talk about later. Thompson Holland, they allegedly have a gentleman's agreement, and I've got some thoughts about gentlemen's agreements. Um, oh, I, I have some I, thoughts about that shit too. Fucking idiotic well, is what it is. Let's fucking hit this card, break it down for the people, and then we can move on. Let's do it, man. You're going to make the first pick. We take turns picking fighters in the upcoming card. We break down the each individual fight that way. A winning pick gets you a point. Uh, a winning underdog of plus 150 or above gets you two points. And a winning underdog of plus 250 or above gets you three points. Nikolai, you took advantage of that last week. Dive in, man. Yeah, I got a few of them, but uh, could have been more. Um, but still pretty good, pretty good. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to start off doing what I always do to piss you off and confuse you. I'm going to pick a heavyweight fight. Um, (laughs) I, I look at this fight and I don't see any way that Jarzinio Rosenstrike doesn't land on Chris Dawkins. I don't think Chris Dawkins has very good striking defense. I think that Rosenstrike's level of power that even uh, he's a, a real heavyweight, whereas Dawkins is kind of a, uh, you know, chubby late heavyweight, I think. Um, even a glancing blow by Rosenstrike should be enough to do it. I just, uh, yeah, I don't think that Dawkus, I think he'll get, I don't think that like Dawkus' wrestling will work for three rounds if he wants to try that. Um, cause that is a path to beating Rosenstrike. Um, but I think all Rosenstrike has to do is land one and against opponents of the caliber of Chris Dawkus, he generally does. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky because Rosenstrike was just knocked out in June of this year, eh, several months ago. Kind of. I wouldn't go as far as... I mean, he got stopped, but it it wasn't a bad it wasn't a bad TKO. Yeah, yeah, I guess he wasn't as concussed as he could have been. And then we have Dawkus, who's been out for about eight or nine months uh, since late March, where he lost to Curtis Blades by knockout after losing to Derek Lewis by knockout and only coming back like two and a half months later. I'm glad that he took more time, but I do think it's a tough time for the Dawkus brothers. Chris Dawkus is a smaller heavyweight. He's super fast, right? He can feel that's clean on a mid-level heavyweight, which is really a low level at any other division skill-wise. If he lands clean on a mid-level heavyweight, he can mop him up. But, you know, it doesn't look like that is translating to, you know, an increase in level of competition. 
There's a big difference between Alexei Olenek at this point in his career, Shamil Abdurrahmanov. Um, you know, even Parker Porter, like these are serviceable opponents, not bad opponents. But as soon as he took that step up to Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades, it all went downhill. And I think you're probably right. Jarzino Rosenstrike is likely to get a, uh, get a finish here. It's tricky because I could see both guys being timid. We've seen Rosenstrike being timid many times, right? But both guys being timid coming off of knockout losses. I can see both guys just going right into it. In both cases, Rosenstrike has more experience. He has more experience in a firefight, given his kickboxing career. He has more experience just standing in front of a, an opponent and throwing almost nothing. And he's um, got so a better chin. With you, but he's got Dawkins. You know, Dawkins keeps his head on straight, and he's not in a terrible place from heavy damage his brothers recently taken. Um, he might just like outcraft him from a distance and, and stay relatively safe. I just can't oh, his it. brother, his brother took heavy damage. That's funny. That's what I thought would happen in that fight. But then you went on like a 45-minute diatribe <laughs> about how Anders couldn't do that, and how and you complete. And I let my I was a weak-minded fool, and I changed my pick, even though my analysis of that fight was spot on, and your head was up your ass, and yet I still listen. Your your analysis that Eric Anders was just going to come out there, be aggressive for the first time in his career, and just mop him up, just toss him around the whole cage. That was your analysis, or was it? Yeah. You know, he's an underdog pick, and he can take him down and hold on to him. He's strong. Was that your analysis, motherfucker? I, come no, on, I, I thought come that on, he, I, I thought that I said there was a good chance in the that he he hits him and finishes him in the first seven minutes of the fight. I'm gonna re-listen to the whole goddamn episode just I I to prove you wrong, there, Nick. Re-listen to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You you might be right. I'm not sure. I just know that my analysis ended up making you change your pick. And I told you, Nick, as soon as you changed your pick, I was like, dude, you know this is gonna this is gonna be one yeah. you regret. And you did it, Nick. You should be more confident and really maybe. No, more I was researched. confident in picking. In, in, did you say more researched? Yeah, motherfucker. Oh, yeah. dude, I was I was around. Cam- I went I went to all the camps all around the world, dude. Don't even talk to me about, about research. No, I, I know I know you're getting those miles in, man. I, I, I picked, know you're sitting down there watching I, practices I picked, and that kind of thing. I picked Michael Johnson and deletes. Like you did, you did. And and you know what? I co- I I commended you for for making two pretty good calls. The other call I was much less confident in, although I think like it was worth a swing for you with RDA and uh, Barbarina. But, yeah, man, you, you made some good picks, and, and I commended both of those because I believed in them. The Eric Anders one, I didn't see coming. Um, and I should have because Kyle Dawkins has just taken so much fucking damage, and he just got his face broken several months ago. Um, it was a possibility with Eric Anders anyway. just fighting like he's never fought before. This was a possibility. I just didn't see him fighting like he's never fought before. So, my first pick, and... I, I feel like there aren't like any super, super obvious first picks. Like Despite some of the odd disparities here, I feel like some of these picks are hard to make. I think I'm going to go ahead and take maybe the first or second fight on the card. I'm going to take Venetia Salvador to beat Daniel Da Silva. Daniel Da Silva is a shooter box guy. He's really aggressive. The problem is that he's a great nail. He's a terrible... I'm sorry, he's a great hammer. He's a terrible nail, right? As soon as things start going against him, as soon as a, an opponent starts fighting back, he falls apart. It seems like he has the gas tank and the kind of mind frame to do well for two or three minutes of just putting everything out there, putting all his energy into those first couple of minutes, and then it falls apart. And Benicia Salvador is a lot more legitimate. He's fought like all over the place weight-wise, right? This fight should be at 125, um, and he's fought at 135. I think he's fought at 155 fairly recently. And... Serious power man. He trains with uh, uh, Amanda Hebos' team, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt, if I'm not mistaken, from that team. I like v- Venetia Salvador to probably score maybe a vicious knockout, and maybe he can be Vene- Vicious Venetia Salvador. That could be his nickname, Nick. What do you think? Wow, you're super creative. You know what? I appreciate somebody finally saying that. Yeah. Oh, no, I've I always felt being, that yeah, way, but no. nobody's giving me the props. No, I was being super, super, super earnest. No, I, I, have, I have no doubt. I, I can't really read sarcasm, but I can't imagine that that was sarcastic. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I'm going to start getting weird here and going for some, going for some big shots. Nick, we're at episode 158, and you have been weird for 150 episode, 157 episodes now. I know, but I, when I've won like three or four weeks in a row. I think you've won two of the last three. Don't get too excited, motherfucker. Come on. Three in a row, easily. Um, no way. No, Three in a row. Nick, Nick, I'm about to look it up. All right, ready? Oh, you did. You you got you got one more point than me in the prior event. Let me see. Episode Three in one, a row. I have my notes. I have my notes right here, Nick. One fifty episode one fifty four. Let me see. You did win three in a row. Congratulations, man. You are inching your way closer and closer. We're like fifteen and a half points apart. Yeah, no, thank you. Let's oh wait, go. oh wait, fuck you. All right. <laughs> Very clever. Wait, that go. was creative. That was some high this level is, stuff. Yeah, wasn't it? I'm gonna I'm gonna do something really stupid, but I want yes. the I want the three point I want three points. I uh-huh. listen, man. It's been 
It's been since... It's been it's been over a year. It's been thirteen months since Edmund Stavazian fought, and he has not really looked good uh, for more than like um, ten seconds uh, since the Brad Tavares victory. And he's still at Glendale Fight Club, and he's taken a full you know year off after a rough uh, you know a rough fourteen months where he had three losses. The UFC is doing their best to match him up. With a guy that, you know, Dolce uh, Lungimbula. Is that how you say it? Lungimbula? Give or take. That's as close as I can get. Um, you know, a judo guy who hasn't had a whole heck. He's, on, he's lost three in a row himself. The loser of this fight could be in serious trouble. The UFC had, you know, Shabazian, because he's so young, on that prospect tip. I, at the, you know, his opponent's 35. Shabazian's still quite young. Um... He's 25, but like he's looked so out of his depth and out of his element in the deep water against opponents that I don't know where his confidence is. Um, and for three points, I, I will bet that a journeyman who's not really quite UFC level may be able um, may be able to get him out of there. Because there's a once you fall off in the UFC, once things, once the wheels come off the bus, psychologically, physically, however, and you are not, you can't compete. Like, you know, talk to Hen and Barrow, right? Like, like shit happens, and we have not. I know it's been against better competition, but Shabazian has looked awful, and they're giving him a chance here. I'm not convinced it works out for him. For three points, I'm going to take Dolce. Yeah, I think given the odds, you're probably making the right call giving, given kind of the, the number advantage that I have at this point. you got to make up those numbers. Um, and you're right. Like, these odds are nuts considering what Shabazian has looked like lately. Like, he looks great for about a round, but everything falls apart as soon as – I don't know if it's – I assume it's more of a mental thing than a cardio thing. But whatever it is, shit falls apart on him as soon as a, an opponent of the caliber of, to be fair, Derek Brunson, Jack Hermanson, and Nasser Dinamovov. These are leagues above Dolce Lukambume, uh, and Maybe that's why there's such an odds disparity there, because he pieced up guys like Brad Tavares and, and Darren Stewart. before. Didn't piece up Darren Stewart. He, he won a decision over him prior to that, right? So, so look, like all, all else being equal, I favor uh, Shabazian. Here's what's new about Shabazzian that I think is promising, but I don't think it'll fix his issues, right? We've seen him basically fall apart and quit against these three opponents that I just mentioned, Imovov, Hermanson, and Brunson, and his training camp was in question, to say the least, right? He was training under um, Traverdian in Glendale Fight Club. He was managed by Ronda Rousey. These are not, like, super high-level management and coach material. He's now switched to Extreme Couture. I'm not sure who his management is at this point. He's talked about how it was a toxic oh, environment uh, that, there. That I did not know. It still says on Tapology that he's at Glendale. It, it does, man. But I, uh, I do research outside of just looking at guys' records. Um, and so, <laughs> no, I, I, think I, I think I saw a clip from an interview where he mentioned it. And, and that was consequential to me. Now, look, do I think suddenly all his shit will be fixed and he'll be this magically incredible fighter now? No, but do I think that this is better for him? Yeah. I think training with, like, an actual solid coaching staff that's proven to turn out high-level fighters that are not limited and falling apart as soon as things don't go their way, I think it's a good sign. Um, and and this is a big, big step down in competition. So I favor Edmund, but I understand why he took the three-point uh, three shot. I, I think it's worth a swing on your end. I don't know yeah, if I didn't, I didn't know about. Though. I didn't know about the gym chain. I know, but I gotta go. if there's three-pointers I'm going to get, yeah. i got to get them before you yeah. go the other way. So I didn't know about the gym change. Which makes me nervous, but first fights after a gym change often. Yeah, they're rarely like too. super successful. But again, big step down in competition. Uh, I think Traverdian something like six two versus five eight for for Dolce. So like, there's a huge size difference. But if Dolce makes it through like five minutes, and that's the thing. Actually, the gap, the gas right. is the gas. Like I don't. I mean, they they both have terrible gas tanks. The thing about Dolce is Nick is that like he has super low output. All right, his UFC career so far: thirty-two fights in his first uh, in his first match, went to the third round. Six six shots he landed in his second fight that went to the third round against Magomed Ankalaev. He landed twenty-nine strikes in his third fight. That was a that was a decision that he won with twenty-nine strikes. He landed eighty-five strikes against Mark Andre Barriou, who really tried to put it on him. It sounds like, and he did lose that one. To be fair, but 
like he was getting crazy pressure and he had no choice but to fire back. The guy doesn't really throw. And so is he going to put the kind of pressure on Edmund that makes him exhausted? I don't know. Edmund doesn't tend to lose to just one explosion. He tends to lose to like experience and all that. And, and kind of, and kind of um, uh, his opponent increasingly being resistant technically against his offense and, and kind of building uh, an avalanche on him. I don't know that Dolce is capable of it, but for three points, I think you took a decent swing. Next pick for me is going to be in the matchup between, I think a lot of these are pretty hard to pick. I guess I'm going to take Ponzinibbio to, I didn't finish my sentence. We're not going to count that. I don't know if I want that. I don't know if it's worth it this early. Um, I'm having trouble picking between these. I, I guess I'll go ahead and take um, Ilya Teporia to beat Bryce Mitchell. I think that Ilya Teporia is explosive. He's powerful. He's got great wrestling for what we've seen. He's got 100% takedown defense. Not a lot of takedowns have been tried against him, to be fair. He's got explosive one-shot knockout power. He got head kicked clean by a man that is probably six inches taller than him in his last fight and ended up getting up and knocking that man out several minutes later. He got buzzed a couple times in that fight, but it was against a much, much, much taller and bigger fighter, one weight division up. Bryce Mitchell is a phenomenal grappler. He can get takedowns maybe against just about anybody in this division. If he can get him against Ilya Teporia, um, which is, is a question whether or not he can, I think Ilya Teporia should be able to get back up to his feet and go back to doing damage standing. There's a fair chance that Bryce Mitchell just spams takedowns, holds on to his leg, never lets him go, and wins that way. But I'm going to trust in the guy who's more explosive and has more power. I like both of these guys a lot as far as their mixed martial arts games are concerned. Like Bryce Mitchell's obviously an idiot. But, yeah, um, but what, you know, he's, he's clearly, but what do you think about Teporia going back down to featherweight after fighting at lightweight? Like, you don't think that the, that the cut has the potential? To oh, no, I, I think the lightweight thing was, was a one-time thing. He's willing to take short-notice fights at lightweight. Um, but his weight division is 145. He's a he's like five six dude. He shouldn't be fighting a lightweight. That would be a bad idea. Okay. Um, so it's not it's not a concern for me for that reason. Cool. Well, I hope Tapuria wins too because I don't ever need to hear Bryce Mitchell speak again. Um, I'm gonna keep going. Oh man, if somebody's got a couple of one plus 145s, is that worth two points? Uh, 145s no. 150s are cut off, and you are never flexible with me on this stuff. Get out of here, you. Get out of here. Get out of here. Uh, all right, I'm going to pick the main event. I'm going to go with... Uh, I'm going to go with the former champ, Jan Blachowicz. Oh, let's all, go. And this is only because I got... It's a three... It's it's uh, He's at plus 250. Um, I'm seeing one sports book, Nikolai. Yeah, I'm seeing... I'm seeing it. And I'm seeing several at plus. I'm seeing some at over at like two forty three. Is two forty three only worth two? It's only worth two points. Yeah, two fifty is the cutoff for three points. Oof. Oof. I was hoping for this one because only FanDuel has them at plus two fifty, which is one of the sites that I bet on actually. Um, so I was hoping that I could just find one other, and I probably would have picked them as my as my uh, second pick. Yeah. Um, I mean, Volhovich is a pretty big step up in competition, I think, for Magomed Ankleyev. Uh, you know, Anthony Smith so is a you know he's a good fighter, but he's not. Um, I don't think that he's as crafty as Jan is. I don't think that Jan is. Um, Jan's not. Jan's not easy bait, and I think that Anclay is the kind of fighter who he's got good defense. He sets a lot of he sets a lot of traps. He plays chess, but I think Blahovich is a pretty good chess player himself, and I'm pretty sure. I don't know if he's got a better chin than Ankhayev, but I do think that Blahovich probably has more pop. Um, all things being even, I probably pick um, I probably pick the younger up and comer uh, to win a kind of you know grueling decision, but probably a pretty clear one. But with the with the, for the two points, um, I'm hopeful that an experience gap uh, and power gap um, put Blahovich in in the five round experience. Uh, put Blahovich in the driver's seat. Jan, Jan has to make... Uh, he's got to be smart. He's got to make this fight ugly, and he has to not fall into the Anklaev traps that he's been able to uh, use against everybody else. Blahovich needs to make this fight ugly before Anklaev can. Yeah, I mean, I don't, is not... Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I, just, I, don't, I don't expect this to be a very visually... It's not going to... This fight is not... I don't think this fight is going to feel like Glover Yuri or... Like uh, you know, Holland Thompson. I think this is going to be a, I think this is going to be a pretty ugly fight. When you say ugly, do you mean boring? Yeah, but I think 
I think boring. I think thudding. I think a lot of patience and a lot of chess. I don't think it'll be uninteresting, but I think there'll be I think there'll be periods of inactivity. Um, I think that there's. I could see Jan trying. Uh, try, I mean, I think Jan's the bigger guy, right? Like I could see him. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not you know, sure. If he's tire, they they should be pretty Clive similarly up. sized. I think he's wider. I mean, I think he's wider and thicker. I could be wrong. Could be. Um, could be. But uh, yeah, I don't see I don't see this being like suit like super fast paced or anything. I think it'll be, um, yeah, I think it'll be kind of a grueling craft like fight where hopefully Vilhovich's uh, craftiness is able to um, put on Klyev in positions he hasn't been in before and get a, get a, you know, maybe hurt him or win three rounds. Yeah. Um, when, when three or five rounds. Yeah. Um, I, I actually feel like, I feel like Blahovich has a good shot here. It really is all about execution. It's all about what he chooses to do and how well prepared for he is for Ankalaev. I think, like, Ankalaev likes to kick at a distance, right? He just keeps his kicking game going. Um, relatively low output, though, right? Like, he will do almost nothing for the longest mm -hmm. time. Except kick, maybe that left snap kick to the body, the left head kick, the left body kick or leg kick. Um, pretty consistent at a distance, and then once you come in with any kind of offense whatsoever, he always counters, and he always counters in almost the exact same way. It's always right hook first, let followed by usually a left cross, possibly a left head kick. It's pretty consistent. That's that's classically what he does. And what worries me about Yan is that um, in in his matchups against orthodox fighters, at least, um, he tends to do this left left hook to the body, right overhand combo that he actually did that in his last fight um against against uh, Rakic against uh, Alexander Rakic right where that left hook to the body followed by the right overhand is a really bad idea against the guy who's going to throw a right hook counter so if picture this Yan's left arm is down aiming for the body of Ankalaev and Ankalaev's right arm is going to attack that same side where Jan has his arm down, it's going to attack that same side with that with that hook into the cross. I'm concerned that that's the tactic he's going to choose. I'm going to assume that he's not going to choose that tactic. I'm assuming he's going to be smarter against the southpaw. He's had success against southpaws. We've seen Yan do really well, actually, and knock out wins over southpaws. And I think it was an underdog at both those matchups against Dominic Reyes and Luke Rockhold, right? So we know he can piece together a decent game plan. Um, the, the concern with him is, again, avoiding that right hook, avoiding that head kick, and... Good, uh, I think that kind of right cross, left kick to the body will be on the menu for Yan in this one since he used that against uh, Reyes quite a bit. Um, Yan has really great kick defense so that when when uh, uh, Ankalaev is going to throw his kicks, I think Yan is going to do okay there. He tends to catch kicks um, and, and sometimes go for takedowns depending on how dangerous the kicker is. Um, but in general, he checks kicks consistently and he hurts his opponent's shins by checking kicks consistently. He's really, really good at that. I think that can work to his favor. He's just really got to watch out for that for that right hook. Um, Daria Albers is actually Yan's new striking slash mental coach. Daria is someone who I've trained with here on the New York scene a few times. We've had long conversations about, about kind of her outlook on, on fighting. Um, I think this is a good addition to his team. I actually messaged her via Facebook once I watched some tape with some with some of what I noticed in, in hopes that it might help. I would imagine they were already on top of this. But what's interesting with uh, Yen's coaching situation is that his old coach, his old head coach is no longer there. He's now training under a new guy named Anzor Ashiev. Ashiev. Um, from Russia, I would imagine from the from the kind of Caucasus Mountains region, Dagestanish or something like that. And it sounds like the guy's more of a wrestler than anything else, which is not a bad sign. Um, here's the thing. Yen's biggest weakness is that he can be taken down and he just lays on his back. We saw that against Glover Teixeira in that loss, right? He had no answer for the fact that he was taken down once he was taken down. It was game over then, right? Like he, he, it's not that his take, his defense isn't good. It's not that his guard isn't difficult to pass, but once he is taken down, he'll, he can spend the rest of that round on his back. He doesn't have the, the technique and the skill to get up to his feet. We saw it against Alexander Rakic. He won the first round very clearly. He was winning that third round until that injury by Rakic. But in that second round where Rakic was able to kind of bulldoze him and take him down, Rakic stayed on top. And he didn't do much damage at first, but eventually ended up doing some damage toward the end of that round. And and uh, um, Jan never got up. And that's a real concern in this matchup against the Dagestani wrestlers. The thing is about the Dagestanis, if you really look at the, the Dagestani fighters as a whole, the lighter weight guys are monsters. 
170 and below, they're fucking nasty motherfuckers. Not all of them, but most of them. Not the upper weight class guys. And what tends to happen in Dagestan, from what I understand, is that the lower weight class guys train in a couple of main gyms, and then the upper weight class train in separate gyms. And it doesn't seem like that level is quite the same, even though Ankalaev at 18 and 1 looks really spectacular, right? He's got three wins in a row over three title challengers. Let's face it, title challengers that probably shouldn't have gotten title shots. Anthony Smith, Thiago Santos, and Volkan Ozdemir. Do they really, really, are they really like title worthy guys? Not really. They're, they're top 10 mainstays, maybe for here and there, but, but they're not that level of, of opponent. They're basically journeymen who got title shots. And so he's getting a lot of props for beating those guys. Um, the only finish he got of those three fights was against Anthony Smith, who had a leg injury, and it was a relatively competitive fight until then. Um, so, look, I, I like Yan in this one, too. My concern is that if uh, Uncle Ive is able to get takedowns, will Yan get up to his feet? It sounds like this new coach that Yan is training with, to his credit, Anzar Achiev, it sounds like something he's really been focusing on is, is having him get up from when he has taken down, besides the takedown defense, which I think, for the most part, his is pretty good. So, uh, I don't disagree with you on the pick for the points, um, I think I'm just going to flat out pick Yan. He's, he's one of my more favorite fighters, just a really nice guy. Uh, I think a solid human being and somebody that went from being a journeyman to being you know a top-level fighter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to root for him. I think, like you said, his craft is going to be a factor here. Magomed might be faster, but I think Yan is going to use his... He always like, has a setup that he goes into every fight with, and I think he's going he's gonna to try to use that to break Ankalaev down. And I think the five rounds, especially on short notice, is to Yan Blahovich's advantage. Um, in Ankalaev's uh, points, though, he trains in Vegas for the most part now with Extreme Couture, really high-level team. He does a lot of his physical uh, therapy, a lot of his strength and conditioning at the UFC PI, which, again, is to his credit. Not a lot of Dagestani fighters get that kind of opportunity, that kind of kind of connection, and that kind of level of training against other big guys. And he trains with some, some really good big guys at Extreme Couture, um, including Roma de Leeds, who won last week. So, look, uh, close fight on paper. I think the odds are skewed way too far in Magomed Ankalaev's favor, and at least partially for that reason. I agree with you, and I favor Jan Blahovic to win this fight. My next pick is going to be, and I think you made the right call for two points, man. Um, let me see here. My next pick is going to be in the Jared Gordon parody Pimblet matchup. Um... I'm, I'm seriously considering taking a two-point swing because I think this should be closer in odds than it is. I, I would imagine Jared Gordon at maybe plus 140 with Patty Pimblett at minus one, maybe minus 160 or something, right? Like, these odds seem too far apart. Um, and, and here's the thing. Jared Gordon, really good pressure fighter. He's got really good Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's a J John Donahue black belt. Um, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He's got pretty solid stand-up. He trains under... Um, God damn it, his, his last name escapes me. It's somebody that I've trained under several times. He's the guy that is just about in the corner of just about everybody fighting out of Sanford MMA. Um, Jason something. I'm, I'm quickly going to look it up as, as I'm talking about this, right? So he's got some pretty high-level coaching, and, and Jason is the guy who followed him. Um, Jason Stroud, excuse me. He's the guy with the, with the braids, Nick, that, that has the two braids, almost like pigtails. Um, that's in the corner of every Sanford MMA fighter, including Michael Chandler. Um, and he's a really solid boxing. He's a really solid stand-up coach. He trained under Duke Rufus back in the day, and he was a mainstay here at, at Church Street Boxing in, uh, in New York City. And that's to his credit. Jared was able to keep a lot of those relationships and, and, and continue to train with some of those guys when he's out of camp. And this guy joined him in camp. Um, Jared has really good pressure, pretty good boxing. The problem with him is um, he can get caught, whether it be with a submission or, or with, a, with a big shot. And considering he's a high-level black belt, it's surprising that he can get caught with a submission. I don't like that he, that he lost by rear naked choke to a fellow good grappler um, in his last time out against uh, Grant Dawson. Right, that is that is concerning considering he's supposed to at least be able to defend that choke. I know Brad Dawson is amazing at getting that choke, but to be quite honest with you, Patty Pimblett is that same level of opportunistic finisher. Right, in his last fight, he was kind of getting taken to him uh, by uh, by uh, who, who's the, the the gentleman who twerks after his wins, Jordan Levitt, and. And Jordan Levitt was able to get takedowns against Pat, Patty Pimblett. He was able to control that range. And I think Jared Gordon has the potential to do that. I'm going to take Jared Gordon by two points, but I realize that Jared Gordon loses in the ways that Patty Pimblett wins in just an out-of-nowhere opportunistic situation where Jared Gordon seems to be in control and suddenly everything gets turned around. Patty Pimblett tends to be losing fights until the moment he wins. Patty Pimblett's also really fast and explosive standing, um, and he has a chance of catching Jared Gordon in just a really aggressive moment, which he goes for often enough. I'm going to take Jared Gordon because of the two-point uh, potential there, but might change my pick before fight night because I think Patty Pimblett 
definitely has like he's not super skilled he's not awesome everywhere but he, but he has a couple of intangibles that are hard to compete with including his opportunistic way of finishing both on the feet on the on the ground um i agree with you on the pick i have a feeling this is going to be a bad a bad night for the brits in vegas um interesting so all right next i'm going to go with <clears throat> I'm going to go with uh, Chris Curtis. Oh, I wish this was plus 150 because I'm still going to pick the dog because I think he's going to win this fight. But I'm going to go with Chris Curtis over over Joaquin Buckley. Um, they've got this gentleman's agreement to uh, to strike, and I just think um, I think Curtis has a better chin. I think we've seen Buckley hurt. We've seen Buckley finished. We've seen Buckley gas a bit. And I think that... Um, you know, like there's ways there's ways to beat Chris Curtis, but it seems like much like Kevin Holland played into the strengths of um, of Wonder Boy, that Joaquin Buckley I think is going to be um, not. I mean, he's a good, he's a really good striker, uh, he's a terrific kicker, um, but I think um, I think I think Curtis is one of those guys who hurts people every time he touches them, for uh, for the most part, and I don't think Buckley is that elusive. So I think I see Chris Curtis landing shots, doing damage, uh, probably getting a finish in the second round here. But if, if they didn't have this gentleman's agreement, I might, I might have a different perspective. Yeah, I'm not sure that I believe Buckley when he agrees to this gentleman's agreement. I think Buckley will do whatever it takes to sell a fight beforehand. I think he sees the value of that, and we, we can tell with his recruitment of that um, you know, self-defense, armed defense guy, I forget his name, to, into his corner just to get like some buzz um, and he'll do that kind of thing leading up to a fight, which is not, which is smart. He's almost like a really poor man's Jake Paul in that way, right? Jake Paul, like, promote a fight and then make some weird bet having to do with the fight w- with his opponent. Um, and here's the thing. Losing to Nasruddin Mavov is really nothing to be ashamed of. Losing to Alessio DiCirico is a little bit concerning, but he lost by head kick to that guy. So, like, you talking about a shit, yeah, he can be knocked out. He's been shut off a couple of times, but also losing to Kevin Holland with a right cross Nothing to be ashamed of, dude. Devin, Kevin Holland can hurt anybody on planet Earth with that right cross, it feels like. And, and a head kick can get anybody, right? So so I don't know if I'm going to hold that against him too too badly in this matchup. The thing is that Chris Curtis, he likes a matchup in which he can basically stand in the pocket. And he can exchange and he counters really, really well. I'm not sure that Buckley's going to just stand there and, and, and stay in the pocket with him, right? He blitzes in explosively. There's a concern about him getting countered on his way in. Don't get me wrong, but Buckley hits hard himself. Buckley's small for 185 but he's fighting a fellow guy that's small for 185 another guy who should be fighting at 170 so that's an advantage for buckley versus what he's used to where he's used to fighting much bigger individuals if you look at his resume some of these guys he fought are just giants compared to him uh buckley came through for me made me some money when i bet him against albert durayev um and so i'm considering betting him here uh i I like walking buckley here i realize there's a chance that curtis knocks him out curtis is an emotional guy we saw that in his last fight he's he's shown that in prior fights prior to his ufc uh career and and i could see buckley getting into his head with some of his taunting and some of the shit talk that he does and and the way that he blitzes in and just invades chris curtis's space so i'm gonna take walking buckley i'm gonna disagree with you on this one but um you know, I, I feel I feel moderate about it, not extremely strong, but again, the the odds suggest that you shouldn't be extremely confident in that one. Next one, I think I'm gonna go ahead and pull the trigger on Dracos de Places to beat Darren Till. Darren Till, super low output, really high level striker. If you like think skill for skill, if you give him a really low pace and you're willing to not throw anything with him and just stand across from him for for three or four minutes before throwing a single strike, he can be good. He's really good on the counter, and Dracos is gonna give him counter opportunities. The thing is that Drakus himself hits like a fucking monster. He's got a really good record against really good competition lately in particular, right? Over over some really solid UFC-level competition lately. And he's not as skilled as those guys. He's not as sometimes fast as those guys. He's not as crafty as those guys. But he just has this equalizer. He touches people and they fall down consistently. He just has insane power. And I'm going to believe in that. Darren Till, this version of Darren Till who gets mopped up by... Uh, Kamzat Shumayev, just because they're training together doesn't mean that he's like leveled up to Kamzat's level, right? Um, like, this is a guy who has a win over Brad Tavares, Trevin Giles, Marcus Perez is not a terrible win either. Um, and, and so, like, I, I'm, I'm going to favor Drakus Duplessis, who's been the more active fighter, who's the more busy fighter. Darren Till throw like six strikes. Uh, like, he, I don't think he's ever thrown 
I'm quickly going to look at his record, Nick, just for the sake of this point. But looking uh, during my research earlier in the week, I don't think he's ever in a fight, in a UFC fight thrown. Let me see if he's ever thrown even 50 strikes in a UFC fight. Darren Till, not a single fucking time, Nick. Not a single UFC fight has he thrown 50 strikes, and he's been five rounds a couple times, Nick. Tell me that's not insane. Um, uh, he's got two five-round decisions, and in one of them, he he scored 38 punches against Stephen Thompson, 38 strikes against Stephen Thompson, and against Robert Whitaker, he landed a total of 41. Nick, that's over 25 minutes. That is embarrassing. So for that reason, I'm going to take the busier fighter who's on the come up, who's got all the momentum, uh, versus the guy who's shown that he can be broken multiple times and has been broken multiple times uh, in his last few fights. Um, I am. Um, I was muted. I'm with you on that. Um, like I said, I think it's going to be a bad night for the Brits. Um, I hear that. But they're getting. It's funny how they booked. They booked them for Vegas. They booked Molly for Vegas. Um, letting, letting them get their losses on our shores before giving them favorable matchups overseas. Yeah, you would think they would. Uh, I mean, Darren Till is not a prospect in that way, but you would think they would take care of Molly more than more than they did in that one. I'm surprised, yeah. honestly. I thought they saw saw potential in her. Uh, uh, what's your next pick? So book? this is not an this is not an underdog pick. Unfortunately, I wish I had more to make. Um, but I'm going to take uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio, who I think, and even in his recent losses, has looked really good. Um, and I thought that uh, one of them should have gone his way. I think it was the Pejea fight. Um, I like Alex Morano a lot, and he's looked he's looked strong against not very good competition. And I just don't I don't think he's as dangerous as Ponzinibbio, uh, who hits really hard and can fucking sleep durable people. And Morano's coming in on short notice, so short notice against a you know a a berserker uh, like Ponzinibbio, who I feel like has been fighting smarter, who we have seen dig deep. I I like what he brings to the table. Like, I know that he got sick or COVID or, or whatever it was that put him out for a while, but I've liked the way he looked. And I think that um, even though Murano is surging um, and he's got these losses, uh, Pazinui has that the split decision loss to Joff Neal and the split decision loss to Michelle Pahea. Like, you know, he's still, I, those are top, those are good fighters. Those guys are oh, certainly a level or two up from Al, from Alex Morano to date. So I can't help but pick uh, the fighter who's been on the calendar for this longer, um, who's, who's a better finisher, who's been more successful against better competition. It just seems like a, like a, a, a pretty clear bet to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's bolstered by the fact that Ponzinibbio has been training for this for a while, and I know you alluded to this. And Alex Morano took this fight on several days' notice. Literally, I think it was less than a week where Robbie Lawler pulled out, and a couple days later pulled out, like I think on Sunday or Monday, and then a couple days later, Morano Morano stepped in. Um, I tend to agree with you. I, I think Ponzinibbio is probably going to win the fight, but Morano, like he's a guy that's been underestimated throughout his UFC career. And the odds are relatively close here, considering the short notice nature of this. So they're definitely giving him his due. And I know you. I mean, you picked Semelsberger uh, over over Morano, so I feel like you're not a believer in that guy. But that's that's I, not true. I picked Mar- I picked Morano, didn't I, in that fight? I'm pretty sure you picked Semelsberger, and I remember like vehemently disagreeing with you uh, on that one. I remember feeling, ben- oh, you may have changed your pick. There's a chance you changed your pick closer to fight night. Uh, but I remember being like feeling like vindicated uh, after that fight happened um, based on, you know, our discussion on the podcast. But you might be right. You probably changed it. But in any case, I guess, yeah, I got to give the edge to Ponzinibbio. If this was uh, both guys booked like a couple of months in advance, I might have to go with Alex Morano, especially at plus 155. I think he'd he'd be worth that rider. He might be worth that rider now, honestly. But but uh, I tend to agree with you all as being the same. I favor Ponzinibbio on a full training camp. Um Although I, I kind of feel like Morona has more upside as like just like a long-term UFC mainstay, like a gatekeeper to the top 12 or so, whereas Ponzinibbio looks like he's fallen off and he might just continue to fall off. He does have those two split decision losses to top guys, so it's not, not a lot to be ashamed of. Um, my next pick is going to be in the matchup. But uh, th- there's a couple of fights here to choose from. I think, uh, I think I'm going to take... Billy Quarantillo to beat Alexander Hernandez. I think Hernandez looks phenomenal for about two or three minutes, whereas wrestling and boxing is going. He's explosive. He's got solid wrestling. He's strong. But mentally, I think he falls apart after that as, 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 as a fight as a fighter kind of comes back at him. Billy Quarantillo, there's a chance he gets finished early here, but I tend to think that he's going to take over and just drown Alex in the second half of the fight and, uh, and possibly score a finish that way. He's just a pressure, relentless pressure fighter who never stops 
uh, with offense. And lately, he's been hitting a lot harder. And I think Alexander Hernandez is going to be looking for a way out by the by the middle to late second round. Um, I tend to agree with you there. I am uh, with a, a pretty complete lack of research with respect to this fight. I'm going to take El Nino Problema or Raúl Rosa Jr. I believe he's the youngest guy on the. Uh, yes. Yeah, um, yes. and this is his post-contender series debut. They're high on the kid. They're giving him uh, um, uh, Jay Perrin, who is you know hasn't is zero and two in the UFC. Um, so I think this is I think they like what they've got here um, with the kid. And I'm, I'm expecting uh, expecting this to be his a prospect victory for him. So one, two, three, four. It looks like that'll be the featured. Um, if the apology is correct in the bout order, looks like that'll be the featured um, featured prelim. So here's the thing about Raul Rosas Jr. Standing up, he just throws some flashy shit, spinning kicks and side kicks and all kinds of ridiculousness, uh, and like flying knees. And he'll like use some crazy spinning thing or a flying knee to go right into a takedown. Right? He he turns your attention, your guard up, so that you protect yourself from that flying knee to the face, and then he shoots right under your arms being up and gets a takedown. His positional grappling is really good. He goes for takedowns, and he seems to solidify position for the most part. He can often take the back and get kind of rolled off by a, by a skilled uh, opponent. And here's the thing. Jay Perrin is, is, is a skilled, experienced guy. Just like It just seems like he's not athletic enough to really take advantage of his skills and not necessarily strong enough, not the best chin, not the most power, even though he's got a lot of skills in, in several areas. So uh, I tend to agree with you uh, on a lean toward uh, Raul Rosas Jr., but Jay Perrin at these odds uh, for a couple points, it's something worth considering given our given the rules to our game because I think his craft might take over and it's not like uh, Raul Rosas Jr. is going to just uh, knock him out like Jay Perrin has been uh, has been hurt several times throughout his UFC career. I think this is more likely a positional kind of grappling edge for Rosas Jr. But what if he's not able to take Jay Perrin down? Jay Perrin who trained with Devashvili um, leading up to his last fight at least. I'm not sure if they're still spending time together at Extreme Couture, but um, I just think the odds are a little wide and there's some hype on this Paul Rosas Jr. guy. And I think for his age, he's extremely mature in there. He makes good decisions, good MMA IQ for how very young he is. Uh, so I tend Wait, to agree with you on the pick. Vili trains at Extreme Couture. I thought Devashvili trained on the East Coast with... Uh, with Sarah, Longo Sarah. Well, Sterling and him have been making the trek out there. I think the UFCPI is a huge benefit for a lot of UFC fighters. You get full access to it. You get physical therapy. You get strength and conditioning. You get an amazing gym to train at. Um, you, 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 get, you get all of that from the ice baths to the saunas to the, to the, to the um, whatever chambers. And, and like you, you just like you are getting high-level experts taking care of you. And Extreme Couture is right there. So I know they moonlight there in training camps, Nick. Uh, uh, him and uh, his close friend, the UFC bantamweight champion, Aljamain Sterling. Next, um, I'm going to... Um, I think I'm going to pick... I think this is the first or second fight in the, of, of the night, and it should be. It's not really a UFC pay-per-view level fight, but in the Cameron Simon versus Stephen Coslo matchup. So Simon is a pretty well-rounded guy. He, he trades with Duplessis, I think, in Germany, if I'm not mistaken. 6-0, so is Stephen Coslo. 6-0, I mean... Stephen Costello trains um, with Fusion XL, which is like a good Brazilian kind of BJJ gym. I uh, can't remember. It's, I think it's in Florida. Slick BJJ. Not the best stand-up, but he tries. He, like, does some things. Like, that sh- like he'll do a slip right hand, but it doesn't look awesome, even though he's clearly practiced it in the gym. So, look, him being at, like, plus 300, both of these guys making their UFC debut. I know that Stephen uh, Castle took this fight on super short notice, on day's notice, but... I'm going to take the underdog, man. Both guys are making their UFC debuts. If Steven Castle can get his takedown game going, I think he can do okay against Cameron Simon, um, who is, like, really flashy with a stand-up, really confident in a stand-up. Decent takedown defense. I wonder if it's good enough for Steven Castle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take the underdog rider for three points on this one. So you're, you're taking... Let me just mark it down. Nikolai, you might be muted. Oh, thank you. I mu- I've been muting myself out of respect for you. Uh, uh-huh. what was your, so, what was your pick in that one? God damn it, Nick. Steven Coslo for three That's points. That's what I thought. For three points. Wow. I figure it's, it's worth a swing because you know, so, these are both relatively low-level UFC guys. That was, so that's it, right? We've got one more, but it's a, it's an odd fight. So in case we lose oh, one more right. fight. TJ Brown versus Eric Silva. Yeah, any thoughts on yeah, that one? Uh, I'm going to take Eric Silva. 
Yeah, TJ Brown's got skills everywhere. He's a good wrestler. He's good stand-up. He's just not durable, man. He gets tagged and he just drops. He could be winning an entire round. Just gets touched once and he drops. And Eric Silva has power. He trades with a decent team. I guess I'll edge Eric Silva too, even though he's largely unproven. Um, but I like TJ Brown. It's a shame that he can't really put his skills to use. Uh, so we agree on that one, and that might be a replacement pick for us, Nick. Um, you uh, do you have any time to go over last week's card, or are we moving? Uh, on? Just I can just a couple of minutes. Like I do think it's worth at least us just talking about the main event, because um, it kind of drove me crazy catching up with it and people talking about it. Biz being coming out saying maybe it was the best fight they've ever seen, and I'm like, it was a pretty good fight. But here's the thing: as soon as I know that I don't want to sound like Dana White with like. The hand slapping and the hugging and the talking and asking him to slow down, you know, Holland asking Thompson to slow down and Thompson responding with, I'll try. That combined with the Holland's insistence to keep the fight standing, even though he was at a disadvantage, even when he had top position um, and had a couple of times where he could have taken advantage of Wonderboy, to me, that makes this fight an exhibition in a way. Like, they are putting in their own rules, and they're fight. They're, it's like there's this, like, meta happening over the, over the MMA rules that they've established. And, like, when I compare that to Ajiri Glover, where you really felt like two men were using every ounce of their body, every ounce of their, every uh, aspect of their skill, all of their will to live like you felt like you know like those guys were with complete respect for one another were prepared to die out there and like were doing everything they could to win their um to win the belt now this wasn't a title fight and when guys in the past like i think i think marcus davis and chris lieben did it maybe or chris lytle lytle did it with someone like when you've got guys who are journeymen who are known for their hands and they want to put on a show and like maybe get the bonus fine they know they're standing in the card they know that they are an attraction for violence this is a fight between you know two guys not that far from contention right to uh tom's wonder boys had multiple title shots holland has had um some big gatekeeper fights and the the way that you know Mostly Holland chose, cho- you know, chose to approach this. Even his corner was yelling at him like, "This is an MMA fight. Like, forget yep. your pride. This is an MMA fight." So for me, that puts a big asterisk next to it. Was it entertaining to watch Wonder Boy spam video game kicks after Holland hurt, hurt his hand and also had completely gassed by the second round? Um, yeah, it was okay. You know, it was fine to watch Wonder Boy do that. He's got a great gas tank and it's, you know, he's a good striker. And there were there were some exciting moments, but like, I'm kind of like, like, I don't know. So what? It undercut, it undercut the value and the excitement for me when guys place their own format, their own rules, um, on top of, um, what's possible and, uh, in the rules for you to do to win. Nick, you know that fighters make choices, all the time, and they're usually bad ones, including the decision to fight in their underwear for pennies to make a living. Like, just because a fighter makes bad decisions doesn't make it a like an exhibition. It's just like a guy I, who made bad. Deci- there's a reason that there's a reason that I Kevin didn't say Holland it was an exhibition. Be, mm-hmm. They have they're I mean, playing. You did use that term. Yeah, well, yeah, they're because they, they chose to fight. They chose to compete in the UFC in the cage under different custom rules that they invented. No, they just they, like Kevin Holland chose some ter- like. Stephen Thompson never wants to fight on the ground, so there's nothing new with him. He's always chosen that. Does that mean his fights are an exhibition? No. Kevin Hall just made really, just made a really, really bad MMA IQ. They had a series agree- of decisions, as he's no, done so they, many times. They in his had career. they had an agreement, and when Wonder Boy ended up on his ass and Holland yeah. had top position, he opted not to take advantage yeah. of his of his skill in Absolutely that position. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely stupid. But the fact that that was a predetermined choice and not a mistake in the moment or whatever, like for me, makes that competition a lesser competition and not so much in the category for fight of the year. 
I mean, look, does it make it a less exciting fight? No, it probably contributed to it being a more, although maybe there would have been more swings had Kevin Holland actually taken advantage of that top position. doesn't make it a non-exciting fight. It was an exciting fight. Um, we saw some swings. We saw Thompson get dropped in the first was, round and start to take over from fine. there. fine. After the, after the first round, there was no doubt. Like, by the middle of the second round, Holland was completely gassed. He's asking his opponent to slow down out loud. So we I, I disagree. It. I disagree that he uh, like I don't. I don't think he was gassed. I, I, like it may have been he the broken hand thing. He was gassed. He was really? so gassed. Yes, he was. Didn't, didn't watch it again. Me. He was super okay. gassed, and he he actually asked him to slow down. Well, like, no, it's it's Holland being Holland. Holland. He told Kamzat Shimaev that his his shot on him was really fast. Like he takes a moment. It's one of his many bad MMA decisions that he makes. He takes a moment to inform his opponent in almost the attempt to I, deal with him and be different. The, the attempt I believe, to fuck with his head. Mm-hmm. I believe Holland could only keep about a quarter or a third of the pace of Wonderboy after like two minutes into the second round. Well, I, I think that he was giving Wonderboy things to counter. And, and this is why I chose Wonderboy in this matchup is because I didn't necessarily think Holland's takedowns were going to be good enough. I didn't realize he was going to go for them, of course. But I didn't think his takedowns were going to be good enough to get Stephen Thompson down. Um, you can't really trust Holland to make good MMA IQ decisions. And I know that Stephen Thompson consistently does well against aggressive strikers. Kevin Holland's an aggressive striker. Um, it seems like the, the the moment where Kevin Holland hit the top of Thompson's head in the first round and actually buzzed him pretty badly is the moment it broke his hand. You don't want to hit that part of the head, and you rarely get rocked when you get hit to that part of the head, but that shows you the level of power that Holland has, the kind of power that neither neither freaking the forehead of Thompson was able to take nor his own hand, which is pretty amazing. But yeah, look, Holland will never be an elite, elite fighter. He'll always get rid of those mid-level journeymen um, but he, he's, he's like, he's almost like a, a, he's almost a, like a barometer for the top 15, right? So like give him the kind of, like, I think part of the reason maybe you were disappointed is because you were hoping that he would win, or maybe you were disappointed because you were hoping that like, like good decisions were made and this was a nonstop war based well, also, on what you've heard. Well, a couple things. I also, uh, yes, I had heard a lot before I watched it and I heard yeah. fight of the year and then right. I'm watching it and I see a really good first round. And then yeah. after that, I felt Thompson was in control and that Holland continued to make mistakes when he could have had an advantage. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. And then what ended up happening? Holland ended up breaking. And I say breaking because, you know, the, like this is, it's okay. Everybody has a breaking point. Everybody on planet Earth, Holland's was in that moment. And, and you know, he just decided not to come out for that fifth round, which, you know, was not really like Holland. We're starting to see that, like, these years of mixed martial arts is having an effect on, on a lot of elements of, of him on his psyche. I think he's also realizing based on, his several treks up into that top 10 territory. He's just not on that level, man. Um, he has, I think, the potential to be, if he like really focuses on his wrestling and really focuses on his get-up game and gets disciplined with the striking and actually makes good decisions in there rather, rather than being a complete bonehead, he's, he can be successful. He's got every yeah. talent. He's, he's tall as hell. He's big. He hits incredibly hard. He's super fast. He's got good Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, he just needs to, like... Sure up a couple of areas, and he just failed to do that. Well, so there's no also, hope of him like, doing that in like my mind it, at this point. I also think, like a Darren Till, he's kind of like caught between two weight classes. I, why? It's not. There's no reason to think that the 170 cut is too hard on him so far, it's right? Not it's the, not like uh-huh. it's not the cut. It's just. I mean, he can't. I, I just think like Darren Till, he's a mediocre yeah. fighter who has a lot of hype. I, I, think, yeah. I really think I, like, I don't think these guys are like. There's so many variables to allow uh, a talented guy to become an elite fighter whether it be heart, it be chin, it be just natural conditioning and, and your propensity to work your ass off to gain that conditioning. Um, there's so many variables outside of skill and, and technique and practice that what are the odds that these two random guys who seem to have some hype because they talk well uh, come all the way up and make it to the top? That's why Conor McGregor is special and that's why he's one in a million because he had that talent to be one of the elite fighters on planet Earth and he also had a mouth on him that could really yeah. invite that intrigue. And we're going to see if Pimblet has some of that stuff with this kind of much stiffer test that he's going into. Um, obviously, the UFC is hoping that Pimblet walks away with the win here, but we're going, to, we're going to see if he has some of that or if he's just another one of these guys that can talk a good game but is not on that level. And to be fair, he might get past this fight and he's still probably going to get, you know, going to have a really rough time against actual top 10, top 12 level competition later in his I mean, career who knows you know i was wishing for the fall of sean o'malley and o'malley shut me the fuck up so that in that fight he did and again I, I spoke leading up to that fight like i see the potential for him to do well here and this is what he has to do he did some of those fucking things and the argument could be made either way for that decision but yeah man o- o- o'malley i mean one thing you really can't like mm-hmm. i bet he lost the fight one thing you can't question is that he, that he belonged in there 
I agree. You know? I agree. Uh, the, the assertion that he did not belong in there, that those odds should have been that wide apart given the size difference and the fact that the much bigger guy is also at least as fast as the smaller guy. Uh, I think you're right about that. And also the style matchup itself. Um, so, yeah, look, uh, Kevin Holland, just for the record, um, landed, let me see, we're talking about significant strikes, 33 of 66 significant strikes in the second round to Thompson's 38. So it's not like that was completely lopsided. Not only that, but Holland got credited with a takedown in that round. He got credited with a takedown in the third round where he got outlanded by quite a bit, to be fair. So, like, uh, I don't know that it was just, like, a completely lopsided beating after the first round. Watch but it again. Yeah, maybe, maybe I will, especially with uh, especially having known what I, uh, knowing what I know now. But, uh, but look, it, it, was a, it was a decent main event. I, I thought it was a pretty solid card, pretty exciting card overall. Um, just quick, quick shout-outs. Let me see who's worth a shout-out on this event. We've got Rafael Dos Anjos ran through Barbarina with better wrestling. Uh, we, we, we talk, you know, I talked about how Barbarina has terrible wrestling defense. Mateos Nicolau, I mean, he just, whenever he threw at Machinal, Machinal could not take it. And, and we spoke about Machinal's bad chin. Pavlovich is just a nasty monster. I'm still waiting to see him get tested. Roman De Leeds, man, motherfuckers needs to stop underestimating the man. He's a bruiser, and he's got what looks to me at this point like a league grappling. The way that he just, just uh, turned Jack Hermanson over. Caught that, uh, caught that. Uh, uh, they call it back control, but he, but he caught that. Uh, what do you call that leg leg submission that he had? Um, calf, he caught that calf slicer and then TKO'd him from there. That's high level BJJ. He did started all of that from his back. That's high level BJJ, and that's just brute strength. And he's got all of that. He's a hard hitter, man. He continues to develop under extreme couture. I think I think he could be a real fucking problem. He already is a real problem. At 185. Um, Anders, you know, picked up a win over a guy with a broken face. Let me see who else here. Philip Rowe has a knack for coming back in the third round after getting pieced up earlier. He just keeps doing it to every level of fighter he faces. I'm intrigued by the guy, but I, I wish he could get his yeah. shit together. You Angela were, Hill. You were right about Angie. Angie looked like a million bucks. She can yeah, faster. Yes, the next, dude. dude so level, different levels of craft. I was sure. wrong about that. The, um, yep. Clay, Clay Guida, I don't know how this was a split. I thought that the old man with his haircut looking hilarious. Um, complete, completely good. dominated Scott Holtzman uh, with his wrestling. Michael I think the Z- argument could be made that Holtzman um, definitely won the first round, if I remember correctly, and then the second round, Holtzman did more, arguably more damage, but Clay Guida did a decent amount of damage and got takedowns and kind of took over in the second half of that second round. So I think you know, maybe there's an explanation for a split. Yeah, I thought it was pretty clear to Guida. Like, I, I thought Michael, agree with you. I thought Michael Johnson uh, very clearly won the second and third round in the first uh, against Mark Diakisi, who seemed weird like i don't know what he was doing he was goof he was goofing around in there a bit much and my kudos to michael johnson the last couple fights his focus all the way through yeah you can see him working to maintain it you can see him like sticking to the basics and the dude hits hard and he was landing body shots he was he never stopped landing he never stopped throwing his gas tank was good i'm glad i'm happy i was happy for him um, Darren Elkins. Yeah, th- this is this is the reason that fighting. was my biggest biggest underdog uh, like, like pick for for that event, and you took it before I did. Michael Johnson was my most confident underdog pick, and I luckily made some money on him. Oh, good. Well, thanks for inviting me to pile onto that. Um, so Darren El- Darren Elkins just shouldn't really be doing this anymore at this no. at this uh, at this level. That was bad. I don't like watching. I don't like watching it where the entertainment is. It's like trying to see if a guy's going to survive or not. Um, so that we don't really need to say, say much else about that. Like, I don't, I'm not interested in hearing about a guy's toughness as the narrative for the fight. Not good for his health. Uh, Natan Levy, uh, looked, looked pretty darn good and kept his gas tank going. Um, Yeah, what we expected. Yeah. Beat up, uh, Gennaro Valdez. Um, Francis Marshall looked pretty good, man. Has power in his hands. Okay. Stand up and like really good wrestling. It's a good combination for a young up and comer. And you're only 23 years old. Yeah, and your pick, Yasmin uh, Yaraguay, Yaraguay took out Estela yeah. uh, Nunes. Um, so, yeah, it was an yeah. okay card. We lost, we lost that Tracy Cortez and Hivas fight. That's a shame, I was shame, excited man. for that. You know. yeah. um, On top of Brunson so, Hermanson, it's a, I mean, the Hermanson Her- situation turned out pretty damn good because we got a real uh, like real new contender out of it. But Tracy Cortez, Amanda Hibos, I was looking forward to because it was a great barometer for where Amanda was is at this point in her career and where Tracy belongs in that in that 125 uh, pound division. I'm uh, I'm I'm hoping that they can rebuck that fight soon. Nikolai, that will That's do it, it for is this that, one. I'm is, looking is forward this to the hunt. last. Wait, is there last pay per view? Last pay per view, but then we've got Cannoneer Strickland. Yes, I believe. And that is, is that is, and that's probably the last fight of the year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's two more. Let me. No, that's it. Then we got then, it, then in the middle of and then we're we're. Oh we're yeah, because we got a couple of holidays on Saturday. Then we're down. Last, then you know, we're down for a month. 
Yeah. Um, a month, really? Oh, interesting. Yeah, about a month. The 14th of January. So you've got... Oh, oh wow. We've got Ismagulov against Suryukin. That's fun. Uh, Caceres against Julian Arosa. That guy has all kinds of fight of the night potential. Dober, Bobby um, Green. I thought Bobby is, Green is, was out longer. It's um, it, Nasruddin and Mavov against Kelvin Gastelum. Is that what you're referring to? That's happening in, in the middle of January. Oh, January. sorry, sorry. You were talking about the other card. January 30th. Yeah, I'm yeah, now yeah. on the I'm on the upcoming card. Oh, David Dvorak is back. I like him. Um, against Middle Cop. We got Jake Matthews, Matt Semmelsberger. That's kind of fun. Yeah, um, that'll be interesting. The former Cheyenne Buys against uh, Corey McKenna. Brian Battle, Cody Brundage back already. I think he just fought. Um, Said Nurmagomedov. We got a Scrabble, a Scrabble battle. Uh, Said Nurmagomedov against Said Yokub Kakramanov. Motherfucker. Said Nurmagomedov against Said Yokub Kakramanov. There is nothing that you pronounce more than like, like those Caucasus countries' names: Uzbekistan, Dagestan. Kazakhstan, it's Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan, etc. You do not pronounce those names well, and apparently, I don't pronounce some of those countries well, despite the fact. What do you that mean? I, I say I say Nurmagomedov perfectly. Yeah, I, I think you up until recently you 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 were calling Kamzat Shmayev something like Makzat or, or something. No, Kamzat Shmayev. No, Kamzat Shmayev. I was not. You are out. You are out of your mind. I guarantee. Um, <laughs> I, wish you, I wish I wish you were fighting Drew Dober instead of Bobby Green. Drew Dober, oh, that'll be fun. He's way smaller than me, but that'll be a fun fight. Yeah, I'm he would, by that I think he, I think he would hurt you really badly, though. I doubt um, it. I, I I would like my chances against Drew Dober to be. Uh, and I'm not trying to sound like a dick when I say that, but he's a much smaller man. I have a huge reach advantage, and I think that I'm more technical standing. Although he's super explosive for for a guy um, in his weight division for sure, man. Dude's explosive and really. Really putting his Muay Thai game together. He's just so little compared to me, Nick. A Drew Dober of my size, we're talking about a different story here, but like he's a really small guy compared to me. All right, fine. Let's put you in with... Who do I want to, who do I want to, to beat you up? Um, <laughs> I think Jared Cannonier would probably... like. I would tend to think Jared Cannonier would, would... I mean, he's a top fucking top 10 guy. Like I've, I've done well against top 10 guys, but, but uh, you know, he's a fucking top 10 MMA fighter. Just purely standing, Nick... Top ten I, guy, top yeah. ten guy buying a uh, top ten at buying takis at the bodega. Or? No, he's a top ten middleweight. We're talking about he just got a title shot. But no, I meant but you. Just, just meant purely. You sta- <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not a top ten fighter. I have. I have. You know, trained and, and sparred uh, top ten level competition in Glory and, and in the UFC and, and that sort of thing. Um, I actually just recently found out, Nick, that I was in the same training room at the same on the same day with uh, uh, with Uriah Hall with. Um, the name of this gentleman from Glory escapes me right now. And Randy Brown. Years ago, I just recently saw this picture. Randy Brown, before I knew who he was, I had apparently sparred him. Um, years and years ago, like probably two or three years before he entered the UFC. And uh, and I had no freaking idea that I that I had ever met the guy. Oh, how'd so you do? Um, I can't remember. I, I have no memory of him, but I don't remember. Yeah. That's the day when I, uh, like my Uriah Hall spar was something I remember more because he was the name that I knew at the time. Um, I would imagine Randy Brown I did well against because I tend to remember guys that do well against me um, at that point. But but Randy Brown's come a long way since then. I mean, we have some tr- common training partners, so it does kind of make sense with Randy Brown. I was aware of the fact that uh, we had uh, points trained with the same people. Nikolai, that'll do it for this card. I am looking forward to this pay-per-view. It's not awesome, but you know, as long as you're not paying $70 for it or something crazy like that, I think it's pretty good. Funny. Cool, man. Well, we will check in uh, next week. Looking forward to it, man. Have a great weekend.